Well, welcome to another edition of Holy Highlights, where me and Jeff talk about each other's sermons in a good way. And so we're here to talk about Easter sermons. And uh, I, I think we were in the same text substantially. And so Jeff's going to give me some questions and some insights and some, some perspective from his view of, of, of my sermon. And then later on, I'll do his as well. And so we have two of these that are out there. I encourage you to to take a view of both of them and maybe watch Jeff's uh, sermon, Pastor Jeff's sermon, great sermon on Easter that, that he, he presented uh, by video. And so Jeff, I'll just turn it over to you. Great. Yeah. It's uh, and you're right. We do talk about these things favorably, but let's, let's be honest. I think half of our viewing audience is tuning in for the same reason they watch NASCAR. They're just waiting for the car wreck, you know, yeah. Just yeah. waiting to see when that Nazarene uh, theology comes up against that Reformed Presbyterian theology and we start throwing down via Zoom. Um, someday we're going to have to give the people what they want. But I don't think today, because no. you gave uh, another great sermon and podcast discussion with your staff this week. Um, and it's been interesting throughout the, the, the sermons that I've been listening to since we started this to see how often themes of emotions and our faithful response to them are popping up lately. Uh, do you think that that is about the scripture text, our current context, or about our current context helping us read the scriptures in a new way? Well, I think you always read the scripture in, in view of your context, and that's why the Bible's alive, uh, because as your context changes and shifts, then, then your perspective or your understanding of the scriptures uh, uh, shifts and change. We were just talking about scientists earlier mm -hmm. uh, and our need for scientists. Over the years, our, our perspective of science has changed as, as believers, and, and so we, we don't usually excommunicate <laughs> and, and cast out scientists. We wouldn't do it now because we're hoping for a cure from them. So, yeah, our context always uh, leads us into our interpretation of the scripture. And, and I think there's probably a lot of that going on in, in um, our discussions with COVID-19. So, so deep into our, our thinking, but yeah, I think that's part of it. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I've been asked because I'm mostly a lectionary preacher and, you know, the lectionary runs on a three-year cycle. And so people, you know, you know, it's always like some, you know, older guy at the church is always like, Oh, you only got to write three years worth of sermons. Right. <laughs> yeah. Um, but no, it's amazing because I've, I've been doing ministry now. I'm coming up on my six-year anniversary. So I've gone through the, the lectionary twice and I haven't repeated myself once because I'm always, I'm always the context is always changing. Uh, you know, admittedly, between the two cycles, the church changed for me. I, I, this is my second call. So uh, yeah, I, I think we, we need to respect context. Uh, <laughs> Carl Bart, you know, said that you pray with a Bible on one hand and a newspaper in another. Um, right. And if that's how we pray, then that's probably how we preach too, or at least it should be. I'd like to right. like to think that my preaching is at least somewhat connected to my praying. Right. Uh, so, and connected to your culture. Yeah. Yeah. I think both of them are valid things. That if if you're preaching, uh, I've always been taught that you not only exegete the, the scripture, but you exegete your audience and, and, and you pull out from, from them who they are. And so I, I think there's an equal part of that. And, and I think God invites us to do that. I mean, I think that's word and flesh coming together, that, that there's this invitation to be incarnational. And, and that includes our reading of the text and our presentation of the text as, as preachers, which is an exciting thing. It's not an easy thing. So that means you can't take a, a sermon that you wrote 
10 years ago or five years ago or three years ago necessarily and just re-preach it because the context will change and you'll change. Yeah. Best example I can think of this is my, my church has been for about the past nine months prior to COVID. Uh, we've been leading worship once a month at uh, West Central Community Correctional Facility, right? We work in the men's wing and fourth Sunday of the month, we go in there, we lead worship. And you know, I change how we do worship up because we don't have an organ and a choir and whatnot, but I still give some sort of message. And so I gave a message a few months back and a couple of my congregant volunteers were like, that was a really amazing message. Why have you never preached like that to, you know, the church? And I said, you're not in jail. Like, it's, <laughs> Yeah, that was amazing in this space. Like, the, the ethics and the faith of being an already free person are going to be different than the sort of faith that you need to sustain, sustain, sustain yourself while incarcerated. And um, I think that was the first time that person had realized, like, I'm, I'm not just a, a preaching robot, uh, which probably says a lot more about my inflection during sermon when I'm preaching than anything else. Yeah, yeah, that's good. Uh, so getting into the content of your sermon, I loved the point uh that for the disciples hiding out in the upper room that this was not done with any ex expectation of Jesus's immediate bodily resurrection right they all believed in the bodily resurrection in the end but they didn't know the end was you know 3 days later right um and you you all are quite right that when we read the story now we know what is going to happen so we treat the upper room as a waiting room you know like we see the disciples just flipping through people magazines from seven years ago. Yeah. Um, but for them, for those original disciples, it was just a space that held them as they tried to figure out what their new normal is. Mm. So my question is this, how can we treat this time we're living through this COVID-19 global pandemic as a waiting room experience, which implies that some new joy or grace is awaiting us on the other end of it rather than just treating this uh, as uh, easing into our new normal? Hmm. Yeah, that's a good question. And, and I'm not sure, I, I'm, I'm going to sound pretty cynical here. Uh, okay. but, but I'm wondering, I'm hoping that there'll be good changes in the way we do church and the way we do community after COVID-19. My, my fear is, much like I've seen in many crises, once the crisis stops, people go back to their normal routines. 9-11 um, was a significant one uh, that in the churches, you saw this huge influx of people and the church was really ministering to people. And it probably was two months later and, and you were back to the new normal. The, the only difference was it was a pain to go through the airport after 9-11. Right. And so I, I'm hoping that we take the best of, of what happens during this, this crisis and use it in the future. I'm hopeful of that, but I think we're kind of waiting and seeing, um, if that makes any sense. Yeah, it does. I, I guess I was asking because I hear a lot of people talking about the, the new normal. And I, and I think there is a place for that because just realistically speaking, things aren't gonna go immediately back to the way they were two months ago. Oh. But I'm not hearing anyone talk about a waiting room. And that idea just, filled me with such joy and optimism that I kind of wanted us to dwell there yeah. a little bit longer. Yeah. That what we're entering into now um, 
we, we can be expectant uh, of something on the other end. Because right. in, in most waiting rooms, you're not waiting to go into something bad, right? right? Like waiting rooms are always, the reason you need a waiting room. The older you get and those doctor's <laughs> appointments get worse and worse. Trust me, brother. Well, you know, but even a doctor's office, you're like, maybe there's health on the other end of this waiting room. I know I'm not bringing much of it in with me. Right. <laughs> um, yeah, because bad things don't require a waiting room. Like, if you want to get a bad thing, like, you can get to that pretty efficiently. But right. good things, things that everybody wants, that requires a waiting room space. So I love, I just love that idea. It helps me reframe my day-to-day -day living to think mm -hmm. about, oh, I'm in a waiting room. And I don't know what I'm waiting for, but just because it's a waiting room, it must be good. Right. You know? And so I'm, I'm now looking to the future with this like optimistic gaze, not to, you know, rival your cynicism, but right. yes. <laughs> optimistic gaze. Like we're going to come out of this and receive a blessing of some sort. Yes. I agree with that. Good. I agree with that. <laughs> uh, you all noted in the, the podcast that uh, do not be afraid bookends Jesus's story. It's present when he's in the womb and it's present when he's out of the tomb. And I mean, that reflection is a pastor's dream, right? It, yeah. it even rhymes from womb to tomb, right? right. Like, wanna, uh, don't you just want to preach an entire sermon on that? Do not be afraid. I, I mean, Jesus says the do not be afraid in the Bible. There's a whole lot of them. I, I can't tell you how many yeah. exactly there, there are. But, but it's, it's funny how often, and I always laugh at this. The, the, the funny thing to me is, the angel shows up in the middle of the night with the shepherds in the middle of the field. It's dark. And all of a sudden, all these angels are there scaring them half to death, saying, do not be afraid. And it's the same in this garden scene. We have, we have an earthquake. We have middle of the night. And we have an angel saying, do not be afraid. And, and I almost called this sermon, God, if you don't want me to be afraid, stop showing up in the middle of the night with earthquakes and angels. And maybe I'll be a lot less fearful. But, but, but it, God shows up in these unexpected ways and says do not be afraid and so I, I i'm believing he's saying something more than don't be startled <laughs> don't be shocked don't be shaken uh, but don't be um don't be running to your cave and hiding yeah <laughs> or hiding running to your home and hiding well and, and to your point it doesn't help the matters that like hallmark and you know the qvc has really domesticated angels. So they look just like cute little fat babies. Yeah. Um, but when you read like accounts of what angels look like, the few times the description's given in the Old Testament, well, they got six wings and, you know, they're covering their dirty parts with some of the wings. And you're like, why would their dirty parts even be out? Like just so seeing an angel would yeah. be terrifying. Yes. Uh, <laughs> and, and then they but show- don't, but don't be afraid. <laughs> yeah, don't be afraid. <laughs> uh, but I mean, if do not be afraid runs the length of Jesus's life, like what can we reasonably take, uh, uh, take away from that about who Jesus is? Yeah. And, and we had that conversation about fear being something that's good. And, and, we, and we talked about it in the sermon, this idea that, you know, you turn a corner and there's a bear on a trail. Fear drives you from that bear. So fear is good. And so there's, a, there's an aspect of fear that's good. Uh, when we have disease that's, you know, a, a virus that's killing people, you know, the fear drives us to take actions that we would not normally take. I think Jesus is 
referring more to the fear of the unknown, the fear of the uncertainty, which I believe plagues most of us. Most of the time, when I have fear or doubt, it's, it's not because of what I know, it's because of what I don't know. Mm-hmm. And, and I think what Jesus is inviting people to is, is this faith that's not based on having to have all of your, your questions answered. And, and so I, I see when he's saying, do not be afraid, I believe that Jesus is saying, and, and uh, the angels are saying, trust, God, mm-hmm. God's at work here. And even though I can't give you all the answers, God's at work and you can trust him and what he's doing. Yeah, I, um, I've been, for one of the ways just to connect with the kids in my church during this time, I've been doing this series called Bookish, where I read children's stories and I just started reading The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. I actually, you know, have my copy here. So I record a chapter at a time. And we just got past the one part where Mr. Beaver says Aslan, you know, who's the Jesus character in this. That's not a spoiler alert to anybody. Um, he says Aslan, and all of the four children's hearts feel strangely warmed and they feel invigorated. Um but then later, the first time they see Aslan, like they're also filled with a sense of dread and fear, right? And Mr. Beaver will even, I think in the next chapter or shortly thereafter say something like, oh, he's not a safe lion. He's yeah. just good, Yeah. right? And so that do not be afraid is as much about ourselves as it is about the God who is coming to us, right? Like this God, is 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 not safe this god's going to ask you to lay down your whole life but he's a good god and and you have to trust the goodness more than the fear that's right that's good yeah i'll preach yeah yeah i think it will something that's both of us are going to probably do like a christmas sermon sermon like from womb to tomb like i think we've already got advent figured out there we go yeah um I like that Mara brought our attention to how it is women who find the empty tomb. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't really have much of a question here, but I was reminded by that reflection that, especially as a man who works in the church, I am called to repent of and seek forgiveness for the church's historic and even sadly contemporary expressions of sexism in our institutions. I mean, it wasn't until the late 1950s that my denomination, the Peace USA, even ordained women. Uh, I can imagine and I can only assume that the spirit of our resurrected living Lord was placing a call to Christian mission preaching and leadership on women prior to this time. So I mourn that all the church, uh, I mourn what the church cut itself off from in terms of the gifts that God was trying to give us. Right. and so, yeah, I think there's something something humbling about the the resurrection story every year. If the church is going to take an honest look at its own checkered history around the the role of women, now um, I'll brag on our 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 tribe, uh, the Nazarene Church. It's not an old denomination, uh, 1908, so we're just a little bit over 100 years. But from the very beginning, we've been ordaining women. As a matter of fact, women have been in significant leadership roles from from it's the onset of the church. And before the onset of the church, because they were in many of the movements that came together. So, so that is, um, and, and we, but we still struggle with this, that there, there's still some within our tradition that 
do not understand our roots, <laughs> uh, that, that, that we believe in the calling of women and we celebrate that. And so, yeah, that, that it's, it's, it's awful when you look at the history <laughs> and particularly the New Testament and you see how women are so, uh, so prominent in, in the gospel. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then we'll take a few words from Paul and, and misuse those words right. and misappropriate those words to justify um, you know, our, our sexism. Yeah. Yeah. That's uh, I want to be careful with labels here because I don't want to imply that Nazarenes or anything they aren't. But I am aware from, you know, contemporary American church history that uh, charismatic movements that happened, especially in the early 20th century on the East and West coasts, uh, because they were so fueled by the spirit and were pretty just they didn't care about cultural norms. They cared about what they thought the spirit was doing. Like they all had. Right. women leaders from the very jump. Now, I don't know if the, the Nazarenes fall into that or if they've got their own. We're not charismatic. No, we're not a charismatic movement. We're part of the holiness movement, but we're not charismatic. Okay. Yeah, that's where these titles are, are a little uh, difficult. You know, you can start thin slicing stuff. But I do think the, the moral of that story I take, uh, again, as a, and I'm a minister in a denomination that's only been getting this right for about 60 years. Um, the moral I take away from that is that, you know, when the spirit's leading, it's often over and against cultural assumptions. Yes. Uh, to just get comfortable with that. Yes. Um, good. Uh, Kobe's joining us. Oh, good. That's excellent. I, I, yeah, I don't know. My dog was whining to go out a few minutes ago. So if any of our listeners uh, heard that, sorry, Brutus probably saw Robin that he wanted to go play with, you know, as 85 pound dogs try to do. So oh, I, there he is. Look at him. Yeah. Uh, the, uh, the celebrity of your sermon from a couple weeks ago, if I remember correctly. Yes. Yes, he was. <laughs> um, easily, he, had a, he had a good Easter. He got out of his crate and ate all of Spencer's Easter candy. So, so he didn't die. So, so he's still with us. So uh, he likes candy. We got to watch him all the time. He'll eat yeah. chocolate and get his yeah. stomach and eat. Brutus, Brutus hit a small bag of chocolates that somebody had given me for Valentine's Day, one of my nice congregants. And, you know, there was probably only like 10 pieces in there and each were individually foil wrapped. And let's just say the next few times he went out were a colorful affair. Yes, there you go. <laughs> uh, easily the most important part of Easter is the bodily resurrection of Jesus, which I think you emphasized really, really well. You avoided the easy pratfall of assuming the importance of the res- that the that the importance of the resurrection only applies when we're raised at the some second coming, and you rightly noted that the resurrection is important for both then and now. Mm-hmm. It made me think about how the resurrection gives our bodies, yes, even like the flabby one I have right now, a new dignity. So what are other ways we tend to treat our bodies as undignified that we should stop doing? And or what are ways that we can uh, all try to relish the dignities of our bodies better? But by the way, every Easter, I pretty much preach the same sermon, <laughs> not, not the same text, but, but I emphasize the same thing because I believe uh, 90% of the, of, I'm going to say 90% of the Christians, I'd, I'd say a good majority of Christians do not understand that this is not a spiritual resurrection, but a mm-hmm. physical resurrection and how significant that is. And so I emphasize that at least every Easter. And, and yeah, I, I think we, we do tend to take, um, I, I, I see a lot of Gnosticism in the church yeah. and that there's the, the spiritual is holy and the spiritual is good and the physical 
is something less. And so, uh, you know, we see this in the way we create, we um, handle creation. Uh, you know, God, God loves his creation. God loves his created order. And, uh, and, but, but we sit, tend to see that as lesser and God's going to destroy that and give us something new and better. Uh, and, and so, yeah, I, I see it in a lot of ways. Uh, you know, the, the way we, we view our, our spiritual call, our spiritual vocation, uh, that there's this spiritual aspect and there's this physical aspect of life. Um, God sees all of life as holy and sanctified and significant, that, that he's not just looking to create um, sanctified sanctuaries, <laughs> but, but he wants to sanctify our homes, that, that all of life is sacred and holy to God, and that's how he wants us to perceive it. Now, I, I believe probably Jewish people understood that more than Christian people did. Mm -hmm. Uh, we, we tend to categorize things like, you know, there's secular music and then there's, there, there's, uh, there, there's religious music where, where God wants all of music to, to be uh, sanctified and holy. And mm -hmm. so, yeah, I, I, I don't like the, 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 um, the um, categories we put things in. We, we do it in the church. Uh, you know, we, we have clergy and we have lay people, which as I understand it, laity and lay people is a, is a comes from a French term that that's not in the Bible. The Bible uses the, the phrase holy ones. And, and so we, we tend to, to separate and say this is higher or create these hierarchies of, of levels of, of holiness and God's wanting to sanctify everything. Yeah. And, Long and, answer. Yeah. yeah. I like it. And I, uh, I agree with you that in terms of like the, the church's historic mistakes around flesh versus spirit and that sort of thing. The, the point that really drove this home in my own life, I was in seminary and, and this is going to get a little esoteric theologically. So I apologize to our listeners. Now this would be a great time to go make a cup of tea. Um, or to just, yeah, it's just, I, I don't even need you on the screen to pontificate. Paul. I think we both know that. Um, but no, the, I had a seminary professor, a theology professor who said like, God is spirit. Would everybody agree? And we're like, yeah. And, and God dwells in the heavenly realms. And whatever we mean by that, we, we would presume the heavenly realms are a spiritual realm. And right. we said, well, yeah, spirit dwells in spirit. That makes sense. And then he said, what do you do with Jesus's ascension? And I know we're getting a couple weeks ahead of ourselves now. And we said, what do you mean? He said, well, Jesus doesn't ascend as a spirit. He ascends as a body and our confession, you know, the Apostles' Creed says he ascends and sits at the right hand of God, the father. So a body now dwells in a spiritual space. He's like, how do you think that happens? And the, the only logical conclusion is that Jesus's incarnation is not just God changing himself in some way in order to be present with us, but through the ascension, like, humanity a human physical body exists in the heavenly realms and bodies need space and time and and physicality to exist and so the ascension transforms heaven mm. which is why we can be hopeful that there is a place for our bodies like when when jesus comes when we return when we fly home to the bosom of the father in my father's house there are many rooms like because jesus has gone and even transformed heaven to make right. it accommodating for us. That's the power of a body, right? And, and all of that is proven by a resurrection. If Jesus had been raised spiritually, I suspect we'd probably have Christianity in some degree, 
uh, like we have it now, but it would not be in any way the same uh, in terms of that conviction about the value of bodies. Well, but, but, but I would say historically, many in the church have only seen a spiritual resurrection, yeah. and that's why there's been, from my perspective, uh, such, um, such a lack of emphasis on God's desire to make us holy and change us even in this fleshly body. I mean, that's the significance of Rome. I believe I quoted from Romans. Paul says the resurrection power is at work in your mortal bodies, your physical bodies, not your spirit, but that he is particularly talking about the mortal body that God's resurrection power is at work in, in that body. And so, yeah, I, I think we undersell what God's trying to do in, in our lives. Yeah. It also, and I think, by the way, this season is helping us remember that because when I talk to people about, you know, the things that they're still missing, even as we try to make all these accommodations, my folks are able to see each other. We've got Zoom. My folks are able to talk to each other. Everybody's got phones. What folks are missing is bodily presence. Yes. Like, and that's really a lesson. Like maybe, maybe all of COVID is a reminder uh, of the power of the resurrection of the power of bodies, because there's no zoom meeting that will ever replace a hug. No. Right. Um, and, and we're becoming more aware of how spiritually good our physical selves are. Right. 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 That's good. Yeah. Uh, I forget the context of this next question, but I, I wrote down notes on Josh's story about comforting his kids during a recent thunderstorm and he said, the storm is not going anywhere, but I'm here. Right. I think his point was that God says the same to us, which is really good to hear during these times, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, Josh also noted that his kids believe him, not because he's a superhero. I mean, he's probably tried to convince them of that, but his kids are too smart. Right. Um, but they believe him because he's built their trust in him up through their past experiences together. Right. So this made me think. Uh, because having a past is, imp- is so important to trust that maybe one of the ways we can define faith or expand the definition of faith is that faith is trust in our history and specifically our history with God. Mm-hmm. Any thoughts on that? Uh, yeah, I mean, we all have a story and, and, th- and that story either um, builds or, or hurts our faith. And it depends on our perspective in that story, how we see um, how we see that story uh, unfolding. And, and, you know, it's, it's our perspective of how God's been at work or not been at work. Uh, you know, if, if um, I think that's the important of Thanksgiving, I think that's the important of acknowledging when God has been at work, that uh, it, it helps you in times like this. Uh, mm-hmm. when, when maybe you're wondering what God's up to. Uh, if you have a history where you have uh, consistently recounted God's deeds, God's work, God's presence, then it's easier to believe that he's present even in times when maybe he's a little bit more quiet. Uh, and so, yeah, I, I think that faith is built by our stories and, and, and particularly our, um, our um, perspective and our understanding that God's part of that story. Yeah. So six weeks ago today, which feels like, of course, three and a half years, uh, I was at what's called the Next Church Conference. It's in Cincinnati. It's a a movement within the PCUSA of like looking at what does it mean to be part of the next church? You know, a lot of our structures of cultural influence and relevancy are gone. So what, how are we going to be the church going forward? 
And one of the interesting exercises they recommended we do, and I was really hot to do this when I got back. And then of course this all happened, but I'm still excited about it is you put up like those long rolls of butcher paper and you hang them on the walls and you create three timelines. And one of them is the timeline of just like generally known historic events. So you can run all the way from like, you know, American Revolution to 9-11 to the COVID-19 pandemic. Right. The other one is a place for people to put their personal milestones, right? So when people were born, when they got married, when a beloved family member died, like you let them fill it in. And then the third one is the history of the church and whatever they think is significant. You know, it was the day that they were baptized there, the day their kids were baptized there. And then you kind of just, and you do it all in the same paper to like see how our history and our stories overlap. And you start to see God's providence and God's grace played out through time. And they, they talked about this as being like a faith building, discipleship building exercise, because when we take seriously our histories and when we really lay it out there and look at it, we see God's fingerprints all over everything. Like faith becomes easier and you're, you're better able to walk into your future with God with that sort of faith behind you. That's true. That's good. We'll have to try that. Yeah. I, I think it's an extraordinarily neat idea. Um, yeah. I'm really excited. It's, I mean, I'm going to be excited to get back with people for about 101 reasons, but this is definitely a chief among them. Yes. Uh, also keep it on the same theme of trust. You all began a short list of, you know, things that give you trust. And um, Mara mentioned working with a counselor and you mentioned keeping a journal with a little more time to reflect. What are other ways to increase our trust? Because these are also ways then to increase our faith. Oh, community. I mean, being with community, listening to community, um, you know, small groups, uh, having those discussions in small groups. Uh, be, because we, we believe that, that God is at work in others' lives as well, and, and they can sometimes um, give us a better perspective. I think that's a significant thing that we can do. Uh, I think when you serve, uh, God usually, uh, almost always, uh, gives us a, a, a sneak uh, preview of his, his presence or a different uh, preview of his presence. And so any of those kind of things can, can lead us to a, a greater understanding of his his um, uh, presence, even in the midst of what seems like silence, uh, you know, I, I think th- those are good ways to, to start. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was, I was thinking about that question too. And uh, I think inspired by, you know, that, that exercise I just described about telling a history and inspired by, you know, my backdrop of, of all these books. I'm a big fan of stories and storytelling. You know, I think stories... Yeah serve just a variety of purposes we can be entertained and we can be informed and we can be inspired and so like i i think that um christians need to get better at telling their story and Mm -hmm. not just the amazing grace story not just the hour i first believe story i think the church has threatened to make an idol out of conversion and not continued growth right like we need to tell the stories of our ongoing sanctification with the same uh, excitement and vigor as we tell the stories of our justification of our coming to faith. And so, um, yeah, I don't know how to do that. Like, but I want to create storytellers in my church, people who, if they're good at writing, then they write them. Or if they're good at just talking their stories out, then it's like the moth radio hour, you know, where people get up and tell right. stories yeah. for 10 minutes. Like, I really think storytelling is, is a vital way of building 
trust and faith. And a community story. Uh, you know, I've, I've always wanted to write the real history of a church. <laughs> you know, it, it's flaws, it's good, all those things. I mean, there, there's so much to, to me, uh, there, there's so much in the community that builds faith and the community story, all those things. I, you know, I, I think Bonhoeffer said that the move towards God is not one that's otherworldly and inward, but it's outward towards my fellow human. <laughs> and, and I believe that when what, what our natural tendency is, is to stick, seclude, to, to internalize everything. And that's the wrong move. That, that as we move out towards others, I believe we, we gain a better understanding of God. Not, not that we never have private prayer times or private study times, uh, but, but if those are not coupled with a move out towards our fellow man, our fellow, fellow humanity, uh, then, then we're missing we're missing the move of God because that's how God moves. Yeah. Boy, wouldn't, uh, wouldn't a real story of a church be interesting, right? Like, cause you can look at like minutes. I'm sure your church has some sort of minutes they keep and you can look at, you know, the history of big decisions made and, um, you know, it can be like, Oh, well, elder William Jenkins made a motion to do this sort of thing. But the real story is that William Jenkins Jenkins was a real jerk most of the time. Right. Right. <laughs> And so, and it would be great to know that, not to mock William Jenkins or his, you know, uh, predecessors, but uh, his family, but to say like, oh, look, here's a story where God used a jerk. Because some days I wake up in the morning and I'm a jerk, but that doesn't mean that I still can't be used, right? So, right. And, um, and God, God moves through big failures. I mean, yeah. even in the midst of big failures, God still moves and he moves in that community. And, and yeah, it's when we tell the real story of the church, it's astounding. Yeah. And, and I think we're just afraid to do that because we're afraid we're hurt somebody's feelings. <laughs> yeah. Hurt feelings or present ourselves as weak and vulnerable and feeble. And when we just want to be all strong and like, yes, we can do everything, but you know, no, actually, you know, you tried to do a building campaign in 1984 and it fell flat on its face. But some of those funds collected actually found use in a magnificent mission program in 1992. Right. So your failure found new life, but it had to first die. You know, right. like that dream had to die in order to be resurrected and, and being honest about, you know, our deaths and our failures. Absolutely. Good. I'm going to change up the last question and I'm doing this to you live now. You know, I, I suspect that our viewers know we pre-write these questions so that we can think about them. And my normal last question is always anything more you'd want to preach on this topic, but I'm not going to do that to you, Paul. Are you ready? Yeah. Okay. So the one thing I did notice missing from your exceptional uh, sermons was you didn't really work that leveled up theme uh, <laughs> into the message too much. So tell me, how the Easter story that you preached relates to our leveling up in faith. Cause I want to keep your theme in front of you. Well, I, I would say that when it leveled up, it's not about just a spiritual thing we're going through, but a physical thing. And so the ideal that God is wanting to change me in my physical life is a level up. It's, it's a greater faith. When we originally wrote um, the, the series or when I originally looked at the series, it was his, you know, his death levels up my faith. Um, just, I, I'm not going to preach on Easter because it's too significant. Uh, it's not, you, you've got to talk about the, the physical resurrection of Jesus on Easter. Yeah. Uh, and, and as a side note, with this COVID-19, I truly believe the Easter message was heard by more people 
this Easter Sunday than has ever heard the message in history. Uh, because every church is live, live streaming or videoing. It's out on Facebook. The message of the gospel was heard by more people on Easter Sunday than probably any time in history. Well, and let's be honest, like we probably even on a normal Easter get in our own ways with uh, all of the pomp that we put into it, right? You know, the brass and the nice dresses and the big hats. And, and I don't want to take away from that revelry because it is a joyful time. But it's very possible to show up to Easter and just admire the lilies and never hear the message, right? right. And so because we were forced to strip down some of those elements... People are like, oh, I don't have anything to pay attention to except for what the pastor is saying. <laughs> Maybe they heard something, right? Uh, yeah. Uh, well, that's a good answer that you gave. I was hoping that you were going to tell me that the resurrection is kind of like when Mario gets star power, that I can run twice as fast and I'm invincible. Uh, that's yeah. what I was hoping the resurrection was in their leveled up theme. But yours was probably more theologically significant. Yeah. <laughs> Well, brother, will you say a prayer for us as we, as we sign out? Absolutely. Let's pray. Good and gracious God, we continue to celebrate uh, our Lord's resurrection. He is risen. He is risen indeed. Yes. We, we give you thanks that you dignify bodies. The body that Jesus took on and his incarnation was not just temporary, just like our bodies aren't temporary, but it is ways that you make us, inform us, and know us. And so, Lord, we pray that you know us in our bodies and that we know you in our bodies. Uh, we pray that through the, all this online Easter worship that others will come to know you uh, in their bodies and in their souls. Um, Lord, just continue to bless us and keep us safe. Uh, give uh, the scientists miraculous insights into how to create a vaccine for COVID-19. Lord, return us to in-person worship as quickly as possible, but give us the patience to sustain us until that day. We are trusting you in all of this because we have a story with you that tells us and reminds us again and again that you are worthy of trust. Yes. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. God bless, brother. Thanks. Here, take care.